happy to be here this uh, this morning and all of this week. Uh, like Pastor said, uh, I was here back in 2013. Uh, and if you're wondering, do I remember any of you? The answer is no. All right. Just like you don't probably remember me uh, either. And so, uh, but we look forward to, to getting to know you all and uh, to fellowship with, with many of you. Uh, when I was here, uh, I was not married. Uh, I was, I just finished my freshman year of uh, college uh, and I was a lot skinnier then. I was 155 pounds soaking wet uh, and now I am none of your business, all right? Uh, but it sure is good to be here and look forward to this uh, this week. And so take your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter number 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1. My wife Krista is uh, right there in the almost back. Uh, she's not usually a backslider, but today uh, she's close to it. Uh, and so that's my wife. And then also we have a five-month-old uh, by the name of Allison. Uh, Allison is... Uh, in the nursery right now, uh, and so she uh, is the newest addition to our life, uh, and so I've been married, uh, a child, uh, and so a lot has changed since 2013, uh, but uh, thankful that we have the same God that we serve. So First Peter chapter number one, I want to preach uh, the next uh, really several messages. I'm excited for what the Lord has in store for us, and I hope that you'll be here, uh, whether you have to, to come in from work uh, dressed in your work clothes uh, whether you smell, uh, whatever it may be, do to work, uh, I hope that you'll be here in your place, not for myself, uh, not just for pastor, but for what the Lord has in store for every single one of us. And so I want to preach really, uh, I guess you could call it a series on victorious Christian living, victorious Christian living. We'll look at the next several messages on what it means to be a victorious Christian. You see, we live in a day that there's uh, much discouragement, uh, there's much trouble, uh, there's uh, a, really, it seems like, a bombardment of uh, sin and sinful pleasures that the world has to offer. And so I want us to look at really the Word of God and, and really see what it takes to really live the victorious Christian life, uh, the life that, that really Christ desires for us to have. And so... This morning, I want to preach a message that I've entitled, A Secure Salvation. A Secure Salvation. You see, this morning, as we look at the potential for victory, really the potential for the victorious Christian life is really based in a relationship first and foremost with Christ. You see, this world, and really for us here in this, this room, we can't live in victory over sin if you've not experienced a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, last night at about 8, 8 o'clock or so, I was dealing with a, a young teenage girl uh, through the phone that was struggling with, with depression, discouragement, and even was thinking and considering about suicide. The common characteristic that I, that I could pull from that certain scenario and that specific uh, individual that I, because I knew her I could have spent the entire time dealing with and trying to, to talk to her about uh, choosing life and, and the selfishness that suicide is and, and the wrong decision that it may be. But the greatest need that she needed was not just a self, self-help uh, response, but the greatest need that she, that she had was a relationship with Jesus Christ because she had never been saved. And so no wonder why she was struggling with her self-worth and all these different things. And so from the large sins to the small sins that we have in our mind, 
we can't experience true lasting victory or really uh, longing victory that we all desire if we've never experienced this thing of salvation. We'll look at this morning what it means to know that your sins are forgiven. But for those that know that they're saved, that know that their home, that their eternal state is heaven, the potential victory is found for us in a secure salvation. Look at 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 3. Look at what it says. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively, what's that next word? Hope. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Verse number five, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to re be revealed in the last time. As we come to 1 Peter, chapter number one, we find Peter is writing to a specific group of Christian believers. Look at verse number one. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the stranger scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so Peter is writing to a specific group. This would be known as, as modern-day Turkey, that, that these believers were scattered all throughout this area. And so they're going to, as you read it, at length, the book of 1 Peter, will find that there's a, a, an issue, really, of this thing of persecution. Here they were, they were exiles, and they were strangers and sojourners in this land. And so Peter is writing to this crowd and wants to encourage them that they will face trials. He'll encourage them even in the first chapter of the aspect that as Christians in life, we should strive to live a life that is holy or separated unto God. He's going to deal with the, the struggles that we face when it comes to this thing of trials. But notice before he really deals with the difficulties of life that these believers were going through, and even before for us this morning and throughout this week, before we deal with the difficulties that we all face on a day-to-day -day basis, there's a theme in the beginning of this passage of 1 Peter 1 that Peter wants us to recognize because it helps us truly to make it through those tough times of life. See, before he deals with, in verse number 7, the trial of your faith worketh patience, before he deals with the trials that make you to be more precious than gold, before he deals with the, the evil and the aspect of, of being submissive to rulers and the aspect that we are partakers of Christ's suffering and the charity that we should show, before he deals with the, the topic of marriage, he wants us to first link the importance of our, our lives to this thing of salvation. He uses the word in verse number four, an inheritance, an inheritance. Maybe you have in your life uh, have a living will. A living will is simply to bestow upon whatever your possessions are to maybe it's kids, grandkids, and family members. It's known as an inheritance. Andrew was born into a family of weavers who moved to the United States in 1848 to escape an increasingly dire economic times in Scotland. 
due to the escape of this level of poverty, Andrew really had a lasting impression of what these tough economic times were about. His first job was in a cotton factory in Pittsburgh. He worked 72 hours a week for a total of $1.20. Nobody in their right mind today would want to work 72 hours for $1.20, but that's how he worked and that's the job that he had. He joined in 1850 the Ohio Telegraph Company as a telegraph boy at an increase of $2.50 a week. He was later employed by a man by the name of Thomas A. Scott, who was the president of the Pennsylvania Railroad Company. He was known as one of the builders of America. And so he was hired on by Thomas Scott as a telegraph operator and soon would be his secretary at an enormous $35 a week. The United States Civil War had come about. Thomas A. Scott was appointed by President Lincoln as the Secretary of War in charge of military transportation. And because Thomas Scott appreciated and liked the work ethic of Andrew, he ended up using him and put him in charge of the military railroad and the telegraph lines. In 1859, as an ambitious and hardworking man, Andrew succeeded his boss as a railroad division superintendent. He worked tirelessly. He continued to have this constant work ethic because he didn't want to really embrace or deal with the, the tough economic times that he desired to and was thankful to escape back in where, where he came from, where his family came from. In 1865, Andrew continued to ascend in the business world. And in his early 30s, Andrew became a very wealthy individual. In 1870, Andrew co-founded his first steel company near Pittsburgh. Over the next few decades, he created a steel empire, maximizing profits and minimizing inefficiency. And in 18, 1892, his primary holding was consolidated to form what is known as the Carnegie Steel Company. See, during the Industrial Revolution, Andrew Carnegie was known for leading the expansion of the American steel industry. It is estimated in 2014 that if Andrew Carnegie was alive today, his net worth would be $372 billion. And if you didn't know, that's a lot of money. Let me just put it in, into perspective for you. Elon Musk, one of the, the, the really the, the most uh, richest man alive at this point, Elon Musk, is worth $202 billion. Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, $194.7 billion. Bill Gates, the, the founder of Microsoft, is worth $122.9 billion. Now, I can't help but think, and, and part of this selfishness in my own heart and in my own mind, wants to just say, man, I wish I was related to those guys. To just have a small sliver of what they have. I mean. I don't even have to have a billion. I'll settle for 500 million, right? Uh, we, we could think if we had the inheritance from these individuals, uh, if they were to die and we are their children or grandchildren or related to them, we would think in our mind, man, all the, the things that we could do with the money that we inherited from them. Some of you would retire at an early age. Some of you would give some of your, that money to the kids if they were lucky. Some of you would pay off debt. Some of us would go out and we'd buy a brand new car, our dream car that we, that we could imagine. 
we would, guys, have to then remodel our house because our wives would say, hey, we got the money to do it. Here's the honey-do list, and now do it, right? There are many things that we could do with all of that money. But understand this morning that as Christians spiritually, we have an inheritance far greater than any inheritance the richest person alive could ever give to us. First Peter, we find that the audience is scattered throughout this, this area, and he lists off the, the different places. Peter introduces this idea of this, this concept of strangers. He's introducing the aspect that God's people are pilgrims or sojourners and exiles on this earth. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, he said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, Jesus himself understood the aspect that what we're living for should not be for the here and now and for the temporary, but it should be for the eternal. And so as strangers and pilgrims, we are to be as sojourners in this land, laying up treasures in heaven. And as strangers in this land, in this world, on this earth, we ought to be desiring to live in victory over sin and temptation that comes knocking at our door. Look at verse number two, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience in the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. You see here, verse number two, he's introducing this aspect that because of Jesus' sufficient sacrifice in the offering of his blood for the atonement of our sins, salvation is offered to all, to anybody who will believe. You see, this thing of, of elect that he deals with here is not a justification term because justification or to be saved is not just for a select group of people, is not just for us few and no more, but it's for the entire world. And so what he's saying here is that because of the sacrifice that is sufficient because of Christ, we now are able to be known as, according to verse number two, the children of God. The only way that that can happen is if you come to Jesus Christ and realize that he is the only one that can forgive you of your sin. If not, then your eternity, your eternal state will be spent in hell. And so we find that here we become the children of God because of the sufficient sacrifice that if you choose to accept that free gift of salvation, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, if the atonement of Christ was just for a specific group of people, then it must be limited in its offer. However, it's not. As we find throughout the word of God, we find that it's not limited. It's for whosoever will can come. That's salvation. And so we see that Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. But now we come to verse number three and we begin to see this inheritance that we can have, this reservation in heaven that we can have because of Christ's sacrifice. Can I just ask this morning, as before we get into this, do you know that you know that you know this morning that you're on your way to heaven? Do you know 100% sure that if you were to step out into eternity, no matter what age you are, do you know that you would spend an eternity in heaven 
or would it be this place called hell? What you do with Jesus Christ as the sufficient sacrifice will determine where you spend eternity. If you accept that free gift of salvation, your eternal home will be heaven. But if you reject Jesus, God must honor that decision of rejection and your eternal state is this place called hell. And so if you don't know that your sins are forgiven this morning, can I introduce you to Jesus? He said, John, John chapter number 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the only way. But you know what today says? Many people will say, well, that's very intolerant of you to say. That's, uh, that's uh, kind of bigoted that you would say that Jesus is the only way. After all, there are many paths that lead to heaven. There are many, many people that believe that this way is to heaven and that way is to heaven. How can you exclusively say that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? Well, first, because Jesus said so in his word. And second, the Bible makes it clear that it is through Jesus that your home can be heaven. But this world says that that's intolerant. God, just for a moment, give you an illustration. Let's say for the next several moments, this building catches on fire. Now, it's not, so don't be alarmed, okay? Don't look for the fire extinguisher. Don't run. Don't jump out the windows, all right? It's just a story. Let's say in the next moment, this, this building catches fire. You see, there's few escape places that we can go, a few exits that, that, we can, that we can try. Let's say the flames engulf this building. You go to this window and you go to that window trying to get out, but the flames are just too hot. And let's say I'm at this, this entrance, that, that, since it's the only one that I, that I really know because that's how I came in. Let's say I'm standing at this door, and in the middle of the, the flame that's burning, I say, hey, everybody, this is the only way out of the burning building. Now, at that moment, would you sit there and say, wow, Josh, that's very intolerant of you to say that that's the only way out of this burning building. How dare you say there's a window here, there's a few other doors. Why would you say that that's the only way? There are many other ways. But think about it in relationship to the word of God. You see, you would be like, thank you, Josh, for helping me out of this building. I stand here to wave the word of God before your very faces to say that Jesus Christ is the only way to escape the fires of hell. He's the only one that can forgive you of your sin and help you to escape this place called hell. And so it's not intolerant, it's the truth. Uh, it's, it's what God's word says. And so we ought to believe it based on what the Bible says. We find that here in verse number three, he's now going to introduce the idea and the aspect that because of salvation, we now have something that's remarkable. Notice what he says in verse number three. It says, Blessed be the, be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. I want us to notice three recognitions of the inheritance that we have through Jesus Christ. Those that have been saved, I want us to, to take a glimpse into what our salvation truly means. And before we understand how we can fully grasp and attain this thing of victory over sin, we must come to grips with understanding that nothing in this world can take our salvation from us, and we truly have a secure salvation. And so can we encourage you from the Word of God this morning? Notice first is it's in the inheritance of hope. The inheritance of hope. Would you say that with me this morning, everybody together? Ready? The inheritance of hope. One more time. Would you say it? The inheritance of hope. 
Look at what he says. He has begotten us again unto a lively hope. Peter talks about a believer's relationship with God through salvation. You see, salvation makes us dead to sin and alive to righteousness in Christ. Peter now is linking our salvation with this aspect of that it's a lively hope. Romans 5.1, it says this, that we can have peace with God. How? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of what Christ has done for us, because of the salvation that you have experienced, we now have a hope and a peace that passes all understanding. We have a lively hope. Romans 6.11, it says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, in order to enter into a relationship with, with God, it must be as a result of Christ's sacrifice. And it gets better than that. Not only did Jesus Christ die for our sins, but that he was laid in the ground and three days later, he rose again, conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. Paul would put it this way according to 1, Peter, or 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if Christ be not risen from the grave, then our preaching is in vain. So Christ not only needed to die on that cross as a perfect, sinless sacrifice for you and for me, but also he must have risen again, conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. So that way we could get to heaven, not in our own strength, but in his. But notice that Jesus Christ, truly, according to Acts chapter number 1, we find that he made himself known by many infallible proofs. Jesus Christ at one point was seen, according to 1 Corinthians 15, by 500 different individuals at one time. And so we see that according to what the Word of God says, and because and based on the ability of God Himself, we find that Jesus Christ rose. And because of that, in verse number 3, we have a lively hope by what? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, this world is a world without hope, aren't they? How many of you have turned on the news lately or listened to it in the, on the radio and you've seen that this is a world without hope? We see it all around us. We see that there are people that are looking for answers and searching for this political answer or this financial answer or this relationship answer. But the only answer is found in to, to find this thing of hope and to have a lively hope is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans 15, 13, it says this, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. 1 John 5, 13 through 14, it says this, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Thomas, the, the famous doubter, he said, I won't believe unless I touch the prints of the nails in his hand. And then when he did, he says, my Lord and my God. You see, Thomas was filled with hope that day. The fact that Jesus, in fact, was risen from the grave. And this morning, can I say, if we were to journey to the tomb of Jesus, we would find that he's not there. He's risen and he is risen indeed. And because of that this morning, not only does that give us hope, but it shows us that our salvation is secure. Our hope is secure. 
that this thing of eternal life is made possible by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so based on his resurrection, we have a lively hope. But notice second this morning is the inheritance like no other. The inheritance like no other. Would you say that with me this morning? The inheritance like no other. Look back at our passage in verse number four. To an inheritance, then he lists off three different things. Incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away. Not only do we have hope, but now we find an aspect of really the benefits that we have based on our salvation. This thing of this secure salvation that we have in Christ, it offers some important, really, I don't know if you want to say down payment, but some truths that we can grab a hold of and be confident in as we leave this place this morning of what our inheritance is, what our salvation is. Notice first, it is in Incorruptible. Incorruptible. It means that it will never perish. No one or nothing can corrupt your eternal salvation, your eternal life. And aren't you thankful for that this morning, that nothing can corrupt it? Nothing that you do in this life as a believer can corrupt your salvation? That helps us to see, wow, because of Christ, we really do have the potential for victory. You see, there's nothing that Satan can do, nothing that this world can bring against us that can corrupt our salvation. It will never perish. That's why it's eternal life. 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by what? By the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing in Romans chapter number 10, and hearing by the word of God. By the word of God, verse number 23, which liveth and abideth forever. So we have eternal life based on the, what the eternal word of God says for us. Not only is it incorruptible, but your salvation can never perish. It can never be corrupted. But notice next it says, and undefiled. Undefiled. Means this, it never spoils and nothing can spoil it. Have you ever had something go bad? Now, I've been a dad for the last five months. I know I don't know all that there is to know about parenting. But I can tell you what. As a new father, I know what it means to smell something that's defiled. I tell you what, Pastor, somebody should have warned me of the the smells and the things that you endure as a new father. Uh, it, it's amazing what, what you have to do. I, I, I tip my hat to those that are in the nursery that have to deal with it, some, that service after service. I mean, some of it is just terrible. The last several meetings that we've had, we've gone out to, to lunch, and I tell you what, defilement, okay? And it's embarrassing when people are around you as well, and then you have to leave and leave them for about five minutes to take care of that defilement. And those that have had children, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe ladies, to put it in a more practical aspect, you know what it means to go to the refrigerator and open it up, or even us guys, because we like to eat, and you open it and you, oh, what is that smell? Then you got to take everything out and you got to open up all the drawers to figure out what did I leave in here, what has gone bad, you got to get the arm and hammer out to make sure that the smell gets taken away. You see, in this life, we know what it means to have something that spoils or goes bad something that is defiled. 
But understand, in relation to what our eternal life is, our salvation, it never spoils. It never spoils. John 10, 28, Jesus, in reference to our eternal life, he says this, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And so not even the devil can remove this inheritance. Not even the devil or this world can spoil the inheritance that you have. It truly is eternal life that's incorruptible and undefiled. Jesus said, your salvation is secure in me. Can I illustrate this just from, can I use you in, for, for an illustration? What's your name? Trevor, all right, Trevor, I need you to stand up, all right? Stand up and everybody say hi, Trevor. All right, so Trevor, he, he looked like he, he wanted to help me. Now, Trevor, this is going to be your task, okay? I'm going to put this pen in my hand and I want you to try and get it out, okay? All right, so now, what I want you to think in your mind, this pen represents our salvation, okay? What does this pen represent? It represents our salvation, now, Jesus said our salvation is, is kept or is in, his, is in his hand. It's secure in him. And that's, by the way, a good place to be. Your salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. So I want you to take that out of my hand, all right? Go ahead and try, and try and rip it out, Trevor, with all your might, all right? You look like you've been working out. You've got this, all right? All right, he can. It's pretty difficult, isn't it? All right, all right, it's pretty difficult. He's, he, he's having a hard time, all right? Somebody's like, let me try, all right? Uh, but Trevor, he did a good job, all right? He's, he's doing a good job. But so Jesus says, your salvation is in my hand, and I'm in the hand of the Father. All right, so Trevor, you thought that was hard. Now try and get it out of both hands, all right? All right, he's trying. He's trying hard. You got it. All right, still pretty difficult, right? All right, and if that wasn't good enough for you, by the way, when it comes to your salvation, Jesus said your salvation is, is in his hand. He's in the hand of the Father. And the Bible says, according to Ephesians 1, ye are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's the earnest of our salvation, the down payment that we have been given the Spirit of God, which we'll see more in depth throughout the week when it comes to victory. And so not only are you in the hand of Jesus, who's in the hand of the Father, but you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. I ran out of hands because I only have two of them, all right? But just imagine, sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Now try and pull that out, all right? Go ahead and pull it out. All right, give uh, Trevor a round of applause, all right? He did a good job, all right? You can be seated, thank you. Now think about it, our salvation is that secure. It can't be defiled and it can't be corrupted. But notice what it says in the end of verse number four, and fadeth not away. It fadeth not away. In other words, it's unable and will never fade out. That's why it's called eternal life. That's why it's eternal. It can never fade away. Titus 3, 7, it says this, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's an eternal life. Doesn't mean that after a thousand years, Jesus says, oh, time to go back. Doesn't mean after a million years, he says, oh, time to go back, Pastor Miller. All right, we're tired of you here. No, he doesn't do that. He's not going to say, oh, well, uh, some, some time has elapsed. You, you've, you've had enough. He, it's, it's eternal life. 
Heaven is an eternal state, and if you've been saved, you put your faith in Jesus Christ as the means to get you to heaven, then your eternity is secure based on the fact that it fadeth not away. There's a Netflix show on, on one of the streaming services called The Good Place. The Good Place in, in this show is, is very, very anti-Bible. It has nothing, nothing good uh, in relation to, to heaven and hell. But in this series, it tries to portray this fact that you get to heaven or you may be stuck in hell based on the fact that you are good or you weren't good enough. But it seems in this entire series, what happens is that it's these individuals, because they find out that they're really in this bad place called hell, that they're trying to make their way to heaven even in this afterlife. And because they, they're trying to figure out and, and fix the system that's going on, they then are able to go back to earth to try and live a good life. You see the anti-Bible that that is? It doesn't line up with the Word of God. And by the way, it's not a good show to watch because it really skews our perception about eternal life. But eternal life is based on what the Bible says, not what Netflix tries to say, not what Hollywood tries to portray it as, not this coexist movement or this try to do good and you might get to heaven or get out of hell to get to heaven. It's not this idea of purgatory, but eternal life is based on what the Bible says. And this inheritance that we have is incorruptible, undefiled, and it fades not away. And look at what it says, reserved in heaven for you. Do you have a reservation this morning? Do you know that your home is heaven? And so it says that it'll never perish, spoil, or fade. In other words, it's untouched by death, unstained by evil, and unimpaired by time. That's your salvation. Our inheritance is, in short, death-proof, sin-proof, and time-proof. It is truly eternal life. But if that's not good enough for you, let's continue reading what 1 Peter 1 says. And look at verse number 5. Notice last this morning, is the inheritance secure? The inheritance secure. Would you say that with me, everybody together? The inheritance secure. Look at what he says in verse number 5. Based on our reservation in heaven because of this inheritance, because of our salvation. Verse number 5. Who are kept by the power of God. Who are kept by the power of God. See, at first glance, it doesn't seem like a whole lot there in that verse, but I want you to realize what the word kept means here in this verse. It carries the idea of guarding. And to guard at this very present moment, at this, this time. And so now, in light of that, of what the word kept means, verse number five, who are kept or guarded, protected, by the power of God. In, in context, it's linking it to our salvation. And so, in short, based on what the Bible says here in 1 Peter 1, your salvation is kept at this present moment by the power of God. And that's great hands to have it in. And there's nothing that can be done. There's nobody that can try to remove this salvation from you. It's kept by God. He is there to guard it and to protect it, and it's cared for by the very character of who God is. And that's exciting. To realize that our salvation is truly secure. Why? Not because and based upon what we do, but based on God's very character. It's a secure 
salvation. And with this in mind, and the idea and really the aspect of what we'll cover in the next several messages, when it comes to the, this thing of sin and living the victorious Christian life, a lot of times people doubt their salvation. That is, there are several reasons why people doubt their salvation. One is because they're truly not saved. They're not growing or there's unconfessed sin in their life. But when we view our salvation as Christians in light of 1 Peter 1, it shows us that nothing that happens in this world can remove this eternal life from us. No act, no thought, nothing that we do. Even if you say, I don't believe in God anymore, guess what? Based on the character of God, you're stuck. Because that's who God is. That's his power and that's his promise. He's not going to remove it just because you reject him after being saved. But notice our salvation is secure. And so it helps us to understand that because of this, we now have the potential for victory. The potential for victory. It all starts with coming to grips with the fact that God, thank you for making my salvation secure. And from that, we'll begin to see how truly we can now begin this thing and continue to live the victorious Christian life. Why? Because of our inheritance. Every head bowed and eyes closed. Thank you so much for your attention this morning.